there. Yes, there were two little pieces in the Times here I just thought you ought to be. They were side by side. The first headline says, Mexican bullfights resume. Little headline. And right next to it, little headline and a little piece of business right next to it, it says, British Pig Club disbands. You want to hear about the British Pig Club? Huh? Oh, they finally gave up, you know. It's Spalding, England. The Quadring Pig Club, which was founded back in 1861, has disbanded because of lack of support. And we're quoting him here, so get ready with the human comedy music. I'll throw you a quick cue here, Walter. We're quoting the president. He says, by George, young people are just not interested in pigs any longer. Well, let's say it this way, fellow. They're not interested in that type of pig. The sun never sets on an empire. The moon goes down occasionally, though. There, very nice. Gee, I'm singing good. Uh, speaking of singing good, though, reset that in there, Walt. Get it in there. Get it in there. You know, people always say, you know, they, 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 they chide me occasionally for making comments about Jersey. And after all, uh, you know, I mean, that's... Uh, I feel that I'm, I'm entitled to say that because I, I probably come from the worst state in the nation for being the nothing state. I mean, let's, let's face it. So I figure that I've earned it, you know. The guy works his way all the way through the Sahara Desert. He can make a few snide remarks about Timbuktu, can he, Walt? He's been there. And uh, we would like to read to you a terrible poem which was included as an advertisement in a local newspaper and uh, sent to me by a kid in Jersey. He says... Shepherd man, he said, uh, Jersey ain't the only state that uh, misses the point. Bring it on there, just look quiet there. Here is an ode to the Midwest, and we read this in its entirety. Indiana, no blustering summit or coarse gorge. No Florida, lure, no Florida lurid as disaster flares. No great vacuities where tourists gape. Nor mountains hoarding their height like millionaires. Ah, Indiana, more delicate. The ten-foot knolls give flavor of hill to Indiana souls. Topography is perfect, curio-sized, deft as landscape in museum cases. What is beautiful is friendly and underfoot, not flaunted like theater curtains in our faces. No peak or jungle obscures the blue sky. Our land, oh, fair Indiana, rides smoothly in the softest eye. Oh, wow. Man is the prominent fauna of our state. Elsewhere, circus creatures stomp and leer with heads like crags or clumps. But the delirious nature, once in a lucid interval, sobering here, left repenting her extravagant plan, conspicuous on our fields, the shadow of man. Translated, that means there ain't nothing in Indiana, but uh, <laughs> a lot of guys walking around. <laughs> the power of positive nuttiness never leaves us. Uh, you know, speaking of the power of positive nuttiness, I've just uh, we've got to get things all straight in the way here. We've got a little note here. Here's a little one to add here for sale. Sixty-five foot rocket. Seats 55, movie projector, and sound. 
That sounds like a fun game. Yes, you can buy it. It's just a reasonable little uh, medical note out here. It says, can swearing be controlled? Uh, see, this have got a disease known as uh, Tourette's disease, involuntary cursing, in which the sufferer has an uncontrollable need to shout obscenities. Tourette's disease, that's called. It's also called the New York cab driver syndrome. Oh, I'm just thinking about that, that dove and the hawk there. You can have a tattooed on... Hey, listen, did we have a fantastic time out at East Brunswick? Oh, what a night that was. Unbelievable night. I'll tell you, and tonight uh, we're going to have to salute the play. Speaking of the human comedy, bring me a little of that human comedy music now, Walter, please. What a night at East Brunswick, New Jersey. Oh, it was just, you know, I, was, I drove out there, you know, to, to go to the, I was going to do this big show in my auditorium there. And I was going along picturesque, beautiful Route 18, one of the loveliest of all the Jersey highways. When the, I suddenly ran into a giant traffic jam. It seems that there was a four-car collision, Walt. Four Jersey cars full of Jersey natives tried to get into the, you know, the big two guys from Harrison store of the, all at once. They were having a sale. You never heard more clattering and banging, more hood thumping, and more cracking up of grills and bumping of trunks. And they all stood around and yelled and hollered because they missed the sale. So we salute Jersey out there and all your splendiferous splendiferous Jersey. Bring it up. That's it. Very good. Oh, yes. Yeah, so while we were there, there was a delegation from South River High School. And they presented me, Walt, with a five-foot Jews harp. And I mean a real Jews harp, a gigantic Jews harp. I mean, it's the kind of Jews harp King Kong could have used real good. And someday I'm going to bring it in the studio here, and we're going to hook the echo chamber on this baby, and I'm going to Hogan Twang away. I'm going to play, I'm going to play Yes Sir, That's My Baby on my five-foot juice harp and just level all the queens. Oh, we have a note here, too, also. Uh, he's a terrible kid here. He says he rolled into our Jersey town, the man from the Chutzpah State, with his car of grandeur, a magnificent thing made from a kohlrabi crate. Out he stepped from his powerful car, the man from the Chutzpah State. He rushed through the door, onto the stage, knowing that he is late. The audience will cheer, he thought, the man from the Chutzpah State. He looked at the crowd, an anxious group. Their eyes were filled with hate. <laughs> they yelled, they screamed at the man from the Chutzpah State. Let's string them up! Now, Pollywogs! The show was only bait. In the dim light of evening sunset swayed the man from the Chutzpah State as he quietly hung from a tall oak tree. He was immortally pronounced throughout the land as the flop from the Chutzpah State. Doctor! <laughs> oh, man, is slob art rampant. All right. 
right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. Speaking of slob art, that reminds me, this is W.O.R. In front of the old New York, the Whitspot Town. And uh, let's see, we've got the, oh, yes, speaking of Whitspot. Well, listen here, I've got more and more people. One guy wrote me and says, Shepard, you know what I do? Oh, I really get my old man bugged. He says, I've got one of these posters of you. And he says, uh, he says, the old man, he says, the old man can't stand you. He says, every time he hears you on the radio, he flips. He says, the old man hollers, turn that nut off! And he says, and I turn the, this nut off. He says, all right, I turn it off. And he says, and then I light this light under your poster. Not a teeny. He says, there's a lot of ways to bug the old man. And, uh, well, you can't. I mean, uh, you, you laugh, but I don't think it's very easy. Well, I suppose you can get a little blood. I suppose if you squeeze hard enough, it depends on the carrot. But my mother always used to say you can't get blood out of a carrot. And so I think that's quite true. A penny saved is a penny earned. I figure that if you look before you leap, your life will be in trouble. I say that. Well, the only time I ever did look before I leaped, I fell on, well, it's a long story. You know, get involved. It get, gets pretty sickening. But I was just a kid, you know, and I... I had this job with a steel mill. Well, now the steel mill is a... If you, can, if you can imagine the biggest machine that you can imagine multiplied by 7 billion, and then you multiply that by another 7 billion, and then you throw in a little dash of uh, Dante's Inferno, you throw in a little hell, uh, you throw in uh, a kind of a nightmare, you throw in the excitement of a pro football game that's gone wild. Now, you've got uh, a little slight... A little taste of how it is in the steel mill. The ground shudders and thunders. And when you're living in a steel mill town, of course, the steel mill is the whole world. It just sort of goes along the... It just stretches for mile after mile along the horizon like a mountain range in the distance. And mountain ranges are important to people when they live near the mountains. You wind up, you've got to go. You've got to climb it. you just got to. And so anybody who lives around the steel mills eventually... You know, he has to go climb the steel mill, eventually. One way or another, get a job, stand around outside the gate, or just go, oh, yes, on a, on, a, on a spring evening like this, one of my old man's biggest kicks was to pile everybody in the car and just drive down to the lakeshore and just watch the steel mill. Well, it's a lot to watch. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, it is. It's like, it's like looking through a little window into the third or fourth inner circle of Hades. <whistles> boy. You'd see those great big ingots rolling back and forth, and you'd see that, that long, thin, blue, purple, red strip of the strip mill, the hot strip mill zinging along, and it all glows in the night. And half of these mills, they don't even have lights in them because they can see by the light of the fires and the, the, the strip and the ingots themselves. And then you'd hear the ringing and the bells, and you'd hear the sound, the great roar of the plate mill, Oh, boy, it's exciting. You could see it all reflected on the water. One of the most beautiful sights in all of America is to drive on the highway uh, between, oh, let's see, you, take, you go right along the south shore of the lake, and you drive past Republic Steel over the Calumet River on the south side of Chicago, Republic Ryerson Steel, and you look to your right as you're going north as you're coming up towards Chicago and you see this river set down there. And the river is low. It's one of these rivers that's been lowered. It's deep. And the ore boats come in. And the river is set low. And on both sides of the river at 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning the steel mill rises like some 
insane volcano on both sides of it, and all the water dances with purple and red and green and orange and blue lights. Wow. It looks like it's it just... Uh, and you see these big trestle bridges moving over it and back. And then once in a while, you can see a faint puff of a, of a, of a Bessemer converter as she tips, and a great shower of sparks go out over the river. It really looks like uh, what uh, most people would think, I suppose, is hell. It's right there. And so naturally, you have this thing very close to you. You've got to go to it. Oh, the devil's got the best lines, friends. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you. He's got a lot better lines than uh, Billy Graham, for example. And then, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just exciting, spooky, and scary. The whole bit is going on. You have to go. And so eventually, you're all, everybody who's ever lived out there has been sucked in once or twice. So I'm a kid. See, I'm walking around. I got a job. And I go, well, wow. I'm going to go into the mill now. The mill that we've always been watching from the outside. And now I'm in the mill. And I'm being taken down to the mail room. And I'm a messenger. And there were eight or nine messengers, all of whom had to learn these routes throughout the mill. And, the, and by the way, the route, or if you prefer route, if you're a Jersey type, it's a route. Uh, each route, you had to run at a full gallop. I mean, you had to be in condition like no, like no track mat ever, because you ran eight hours a day under swinging overhead cranes. And you dart under a couple of Bessemer converters when they're in full action. You learn to have footwork, man. And you move up and down through the hot strips and through the coal strip mill and through the plate mill, through the 14-inch merchant mill, through the 40-inch soaking pit and through the rail yards and the number 1 AC and the number 2 AC. You can tell I've been there, can't you? And you move, I mean, you, you get so that you move instinctively. You can hear a bad sound. You know you're in trouble. Yeah, you can just hear it on all sides. You're running through this fantastic enormous cacophony of machine. Well, I made a mistake one day. I'm going through the plate mill, the 100-inch plate mill. Now, the 100-inch plate mill is something else again. Uh, I guess the 100-inch plate mill is what most people think of. It's the second thing they think of when they think of a steel mill. When you say steel mill to most people, what they really think of is the open hearth. And they always see this big ladle pouring. That's the steel mill. Well, that's only one tiny, itsy-bitsy, wee part of the steel mill. There are other and more exciting parts of the steel mill that you never see. They keep you away from that because it's a little too dangerous, uh, a little too exciting. And uh, in some ways, even more colorful, a curious sort of way. And one of them is the 100-inch plate mill. Now, the 100-inch plate mill takes ingots. Now, you've seen an ingot, a pig, a uh, an ingot is about, oh, I'd say roughly the size of a Mustang car. That's a big chunk of iron, roughly. And it weighs about 47 trillion tons. It weighs about as much as the Empire State Building. But it's a big chunk of metal that is white hot, and I mean white hot. Now, uh, most of us, uh, when we think of heat, we think of a stove. Or if we really are going far out, we think of a soldering iron. Something that's really hot. Well, let me tell you how hot an ingot is. A real ingot that has just come out, that's just been taken out of the, out of the mill, out of the mold, and it's being taken over to the 100-inch plate mill. And it's taken on flatbed cars. And these are low, flat cars that come crawling across the dark ground. And they crawl very, uh, with, with a kind of 
surety of purpose, a kind of uh, maniacal directness, because they've got to get over there. Because if this thing gets a little bit too cool between the mold and the plate mill, there is trouble. I mean, real trouble. And so they just move. You've got to get out of the way. Well, you can stand on a January day when the temperature is 20 below zero, maybe. You can stand a block away from a string of ingots and feel the heat hit your cheek like, like some kind of a hot breath out of an oven. A block away, and I mean it. I'm not exaggerating. And the closer you get, the more withering it is. And once in a while, you'll, 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 you'll have what they call a cherry ingot. And that's for another purpose. They take those over to the 40-inch soaking mill. We could go into that process, another process. But a cherry ingot is one of the most beautiful things in the world. It's an ingot that has been slowly and very carefully, very, 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 uh, with precision, it has been uh, cooled off slightly. And it gets a, the most beautiful color of dove gray around the edges. But gray, the kind of gray that you see on the bottom of certain birds, a kind of light, dove, soft, ashy gray that's tinged with the most beautiful, subtle cherry color, and it gets deeper and deeper towards the center of it. That's an interesting-looking ingot. It's also a dangerous ingot for another reason, because if a drop of water comes down out of the sky when one of those ingots is being transported past, just a drop of water, like a little rain comes down, it hits this ingot, and it causes a peculiar kind of an explosion. And when it... Uh, who, I, I, what is the uh, term? But it's a kind of explosion where the drop of water hits something that hot, and it blows the shale off of this, this ingot. The shale is a kind of strange scale. It's like a scum, a soft fur that forms over it. It's a combination of oxidation and extreme heat and other things. And it hits it... Boom! And it sprays over an area maybe 30 feet. It's a very dangerous scene. But nevertheless, these big, beautiful, white-hot ingots rolling along on these flatbeds. And I am, I'm chugging into the 100-inch plate mill. Well, now, you've, you've all seen pictures. You've seen pictures of how they roll steel back and forth, this big roll. Forth it goes, and each time it goes through this roller, it's like an enormous rolling pin, like really two rolling pins. As it goes back and forth between these rolling pins, it squashes it flatter and flatter and flatter and flatter and flatter. This huge ingot, this thing that's about the size of a Mustang, until at the end of the process, which uh, takes uh, different times depending on how thin they want to roll it, this thing comes out a hundred inches wide, and it's maybe. Oh, an inch thick. It rolls it like a big piece of dough. Well, as you can, you know, you can realize when rolling a piece of steel down and rolling it like dough, there are pressures that you can't believe. I mean, oh boy, can you imagine rolling steel out? Just rolling it. It's just like rolling it out. And so there are pressures. Oh, and once in a while, one of these rolls explodes because of a defect in it or some kind of a, some kind of a, a, a mechanical thing happens. And, uh, man... Mammy bar the door. And so this day, I am chugging along. I'm a male boy. You know, I got my mail sack on me. And uh, it's uh, one of those moments, you know, of, of, uh, of, extreme, uh, of extreme hurry, extreme rush and push. I am late. 
And I realized that. Now, always up to this point, and let me tell you this, I think almost all accidents occur in life when you're late. I just wonder how many guys are killed in their car because they're late. How many guys uh, make that fatal mistake because they're running 15 minutes late? And instead of, uh, you know, instead of getting out 15 minutes early, they went out 15 minutes late, and that's the end of the ball game. And I'm running along, and every day I've been running past this mill. Every day I've been running past this machine. Now, this machine had a huge bank on all sides of it of relays. And way up at the top is the guy running this roll machine. He's got these big levers running it back and forth. And as she would run through on the last cut, on the last, on the last roll, or maybe the second to the last roll, there was an automatic machine that would toss out on it. Ah, but I'm getting ahead. I see this roller up ahead of me. I'm in a hurry, see. I'm running like mad, see. I'm running fast. Shepherd's running fast. Faster and faster. I'm late. Holy smokes. I'm late. I'm looking at my mail sack now. I gotta, I'm sorting the Coke plant mail, which is coming up next. Let's see, Coke plant, cold script, number two, tin mill lab. Right out loud. Oh, I forgot to drop a mail off at the number two AC. Oh, I'm late. I'm ten minutes late. The truck's at the end of the mill waiting for me. I dart past that great big roll machine. Boom. Boom. She's going back. Boom. Boom. When all of a sudden, just as I got opposite, I'm three feet away from it. All of a sudden, boom. Fantastic explosion. I reeled back. I didn't know what happened. I ran past that 100-inch plate roller. Just at the moment, they dropped this big shovel full of salt on that ingot they are crushing. At exactly the wrong moment. Well, they put salt on these ingots. At the right instant, as they're rolling it back and forth, the salt forms a chemical reaction with this fantastically hot piece of metal and blows the shale right off of it. And it's like stepping right into the middle of a hand grenade barrage. It's like stepping right into the middle of a giant shower of shrapnel. Millions of pieces of burning metal. My jacket's burnt. Thousands of little holes. My hat, my mail, my shoes. I wasn't touched. But boy, did I learn a lesson. <laughs> did I learn a lesson.